0: While you will not find any support in Scripture for, for the concept, karma has kind of crept its way into our culture in the United States in quite a, a regular, unassuming way. We talk about it regularly. We hear other people reference karma. And probably, if, if you think about it, it more often is used in a negative connotation than a positive one. Somebody that is universally agreed upon to be kind of a, a jerk suddenly has something bad or awful happen to that individual and we say, oh, that's, that's karma coming back to get them. A jerk like that deserves it. They had it coming. Just a matter of time. Not something that we always associate when somebody, uh, something good happens to somebody and say, oh, that's karma because that's a, a good person. But But nonetheless, we do have maybe kind of a a Christianized version of karma, or maybe it's just our our own thing that that has kind of crept into Christianity and is still very much a part of our culture here in America. And it's subscribing to this general approach to life that says that if you do the right thing, everything's going to work out. Now, granted, there might be a few obstacles in the way, maybe a a few potholes or detours that are required, but generally speaking, you do the right thing and everything's going to work out for you. So in other words, be a kind person, tell the truth, don't take things that don't belong to you. We might just say, well, I suppose it's really the golden rule, treating others the way that you would have them treat you. And as a general rule of thumb, when you do the right thing like that, everything is going to work out. And maybe that's that's kind of what attracts us to an individual like Joseph in Scripture. He's one of the good guys. He's just one of those guys, a dude that does the right thing. And and even though we're not told a whole lot about him in Scripture, we look up to him. He's the guy that we kind of want to be. The unassuming, quiet, gentle guy. Look at at how he's described in in just Matthew, uh, the accounts. Although we don't, like I said, know a whole lot about him from Scripture, what we do know is... He was definitely one of those guys that was concerned with doing the right thing. Matthew describes Joseph as as being what? A man who was faithful to the law. And maybe you remember the older translation of that. It used to be just that Joseph was a righteous man. Another way of saying that he did the right thing. That's the type of guy that Joseph was. And even in the circumstances that we find him, as you heard from the gospel this morning of Matthew, that whole account read, after the angel kind of explained what was going on to him and he wakes up from the dream, what does Matthew tell us that, that Joseph did in the last verse of, of our gospel? When Joseph woke up, or sorry, second to last verse, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He did what he was told to do. He did the right thing. And if you continue reading through Matthew's gospel, again, not too much of Joseph, but in the next chapter is kind of the next stage after Jesus was born. Again, an angel comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, I want you to take your family and go to Egypt because Herod is trying to kill him. Guess what? Joseph does just that. And then after a time in Egypt, an angel comes again and says, Joseph, go back. Herod's dead. He's not a threat anymore. And guess what? Joseph does the right thing. Not surprisingly. It's what we'd expect to do. He's a a good dude doing the right thing. But as you focus on the rest of the details of this account from Matthew, how did that work out for him? Joseph, this honorable guy doing the right thing, was engaged to Mary. Mary. For probably an extended period of time in those days, uh, that lengthy period of being engaged would have allowed the families to negotiate the terms of the marriage. So we don't really know how long it was, but they were engaged for some time. And then, then the bombshell. Joseph, the honorable guy doing the right thing, finds out Mary's pregnant. And Joseph knows he's not the father. Here's a guy doing the right thing. And everything did not work out. It's happened to you quite often in life too, hasn't it? Strive to do the right thing, but it doesn't always work out. Maybe you're at a stage of life where you are are very prudent and disciplined in managing your finances that you haven't given into a culture that says buy everything and buy it right now, and yet still you find yourself struggling to stay out of the red and and, and get into the black. And you you look at the workplace. You're the the rock-steady, reliable employee. You get your things done on time. You do them well. You treat other employees with respect, and it seems to go unrecognized, or maybe you even experience being demoted. Not everything works out. Parenting, you, you feel like you raise your kids the right way and then as they grow up in their next stage of life and they're adults and, and one poor decision after another makes you question, didn't you do the right thing? Because it doesn't feel that way as you look at the outcome. No, not, not everything works out when you do, do the right thing. And that applies spiritually too, doesn't it? From God's perspective of marriage, You've done the right thing, and yet it seems that your marriage is filled with more burden than blessing. You've made an intentional effort to be more engaged or or involved in your church life, in in congregational service, and yet still you have all kinds of problems in life. You read your Bible, you've been really committed to trying to do that, and yet instead of more clarity, it's, it's confusion. You don't You don't understand it. And maybe you're one of those that that embarked on that challenge these last three months of the year to increase your giving, and and you've been trying to do that, and you found that is much more difficult than you realize. You're trying to do the right thing, and yet not everything works out. And then we can get even more pointed and personal when it comes to the matter of our sin. Not just how we deal with sin in general, but, but our sin. And that internal scale that each of us has that is well aware of the things that we have done wrong, and so we try to to make up for it by doing what is right. In the past, we have exploded in sinful rage far too often, leaving physical damage sometimes, but certainly hurtful words that have wounded in their wake. And so we are committed to, to growing to become more patient until we blow up again. We promise ourselves that last night is the last time that I'm ever going to go to that website again. I'm done. Until tonight or this weekend when we have to make that promise again and say now is the last time that I will have gone to that website And we find ourselves in a world of of hurt financially, racking up credit because we we have given into the, the consumerism, materialism of our world and our day and age. And then we feel guilt and shame associated with that. And so what do we do to alleviate that? We buy and we purchase more as an escape. Somebody has wronged us, somebody has sinned against us, and we know that we should forgive them and lavish forgiveness on them the way that Jesus has on us. But we can't. We can't bring ourselves to do it. No, you try to do the right thing and not everything works out. And if you find yourself frustrated and confused by that, God's word has some guidance and an explanation as to why that's not going to work out. In the book of Proverbs, we're told in chapter, verse, chapter 16, verse 25, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. That's the Bible's way of saying, you can do what you think is the right thing, but that's going to be the ultimate result. Is death, not just that we're all going to physically die, but it's talking about being cut off and separated from from God. Paul writes in his letter to the Galatians, in chapter two, the works of the law, by the works of the law no one will be justified. In other words, doing the right thing enough and over and over is not going to declare you innocent or not guilty before God's eyes. It's not going to work. It's not going to cut it, thinking that doing the right thing will make everything work out. In fact, that totally misses the point of God's law, which could be summed up as do the right thing or put another way, love everybody perfectly all the time. But God didn't give us that law as a roadmap to do the right thing so that we'd be all right in the end. He gave us his law To make it clear to us how unattainable God's standard truly is. That doing the right thing is never going to be the source of your worth. It's never going to cut it before God for him to declare you good in his eyes. The law served an entirely different purpose. Joseph himself needed to see that as well. So what did Joseph do? Well, Joseph did exactly what we would expect him to do. He did the right thing. But understand the monumental difference between doing the right thing in hopes of satisfying God and doing the right thing after you have discovered that God is more interested in satisfying you. Which is exactly what the angel came to reveal to Joseph. You already heard it in our gospel today. This was the promise, the explanation behind why his wife, with whom he had never slept, was expecting a child. In verse 21, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Do you hear that, Joseph? You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to try harder. You don't have to live in limbo wondering if you're good enough is going to make an eternal difference before God. Because He will come for His people, including you, Joseph, to save them from their sins. Do you hear that, dear brothers and sisters in Christ? You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to try harder. You don't have to live in limbo wondering if you've done the right thing enough to secure an eternal assurance in the presence of God. Because that son born to Mary is the one who came into this world for his people, including you, to save them from their sins. And now what? Now, dear friends, we, we live in that joy. And particularly, as I mentioned in the, the children's message, we, we celebrate that, that God didn't stay or remain up in heaven, hoping that it would sink in hoping that we would understand that we can never do the right thing to establish a right relationship with him. God didn't stay in heaven and bark out the orders and say, here's the direction, here's the path for you to do the right thing. God said, I'm the solution to the problem. He left heaven and came to be with us. After Matthew recorded what the angel said to to Joseph in his dream, Matthew kind of helps us connect the dots a little bit in these verses. In verses 22 and 23, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us is more than just nostalgia. It's necessity. Because God had to come into our world to be with us to do what we could not. To be what we could not. He came into the world to fix the problem. Ourselves. He came into the world to be both our perfection and our payment. The good that we could never measure up to and to pacify the Father's demand of perfection that we could never attain. And to provide the payment for our sins that we could never render enough for to make good before God. Emmanuel, God with us, came into our world for that very purpose. It's what makes Christmas, Christmas. To rejoice that the Son, that God himself, came into our midst to give us the assurance that he was going to be the one to do the right thing to make sure that everything would work out in the end. And because he did the right thing, everything will work out in the end. Emmanuel, God with us, Joseph came to realize that he needed that gift. As good, as faithful, as righteous as he was, it was never going to be enough. And neither would your goodness, your righteousness your faithfulness ever be enough. Only God himself is enough. And so we celebrate that that today, just as, as God made good on his promise to Joseph and delivered the Emmanuel, just as God came into Joseph's world to make everything right between sinners and a holy, righteous God. So one week from today, We celebrate that God made and kept that promise. That he didn't give us a road map to say, follow this to be right with me. But that he came in our midst to do what we could not. And so we pray and next week we rejoice in celebrating, come Lord Jesus, and he did just that as our Emmanuel. God with us. Amen.